Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with HowStuffWorks, and I love all things tech. And before I jump into today's episode topic, I want to give a couple of corrections that I got to recent episodes, which is totally valid. You guys are an awesome audience, and I really appreciate when you reach out to gently remind me that sometimes I get stuff wrong because you typically do it in a responsible way, which I greatly appreciate. And I should stress, in almost every case, it's where I have researched something and somewhere between the process of reading it and taking my notes, my brain has inserted information that has made it wrong. So the fault lies on me, and I accept that. So first correction, in the Pebble episode, I mentioned that the Pebble watch, the original Pebble watch, had an e-paper display, and then I explained how e-ink works. And indeed, the two terms are frequently used interchangeably. You will often find e-paper and e-ink both talking about the same technology, that one that uses those electrostatically charged capsules. However, that being said, the display that the Pebble, the original Pebble watch had, was not a true e-ink style e-paper one, even though they refer to it as e-paper. It was actually a low-powered LCD screen called a transflective LCD. So it works in a different way than the e-ink stuff does. The purpose of it is very similar. The idea being that you want to be able to uh, read the screen based upon available light in the environment as opposed to having a backlit screen like your typical smartphone. But it works on a different principle. So thank you for that correction. Secondly, listener Ben pointed out that in the Cambridge Analytica podcasts, I mentioned a sting operation conducted by the BBC. Small problem, that wasn't the BBC. It was actually Channel 4 News in the UK, not a BBC channel. So this one is just comes down to my stupid American brain. Because my stupid American brain says, oh, it was British television. That means BBC, which is ridiculous. I know there's more television in the UK than the BBC channels. Uh, I'm just I'm just an ignorant American, so I apologize for that. And third, there's a software engineer who would absolutely love it if I stopped saying degrees Kelvin, because the unit of Kelvin is the Kelvin, not the degree. So... That's the correct thing. You want to say Kelvin, not degrees Kelvin. Now, you will frequently see and hear people use the phrase degrees Kelvin, but it's technically wrong until enough people use it because that's how language works. If it if enough people use it the wrong way, the wrong way becomes the right way. So I charge everyone out there to start saying degrees Kelvin because if enough of you do it, I don't have to worry about saying it the right way. I'm just kidding. I'll try my best to remember to be accurate. I appreciate all of those corrections. Now on to the topic for today. Way back in 2011, my then co-host Chris Paulette and I did an episode about the worst video games of all time. But these were titles that were submitted by listeners. We solicited uh, various nominations, and we did it over Facebook and Twitter and email, and we just asked people, nominate what you think are the worst video games of all time, and then we tallied them all up. And so in that episode, we talked about games that had been considered bad for various things. Maybe they had missed release dates repeatedly. Duke Nukem Forever was a famous one and had just come out that year after more than a decade of being in development. We also talked about games that were buried in a desert, 
after too many cartridges had been made and not enough people wanted to buy a copy, like E.T. the Extraterrestrial for the Atari 2600. But what about the games that have come out since 2011? What are some of the most notoriously bad games of that era? Well, before I jump in and start talking about specific titles, I do want to say that we need to keep in mind that real people worked on these games. They dedicated their time, their effort, their energy into making a game a reality. And things just didn't go right. So in some cases, maybe they tackled more than they could handle. And ultimately, the game they created was a disappointment. In other cases, you might have had executives who were constantly shifting expectations, and the development team was kind of left in the lurch as a result. And uh, maybe they even had things like a, a, a hardline deadline that had to be the date that the game would ship, whether the game was ready or not. A lot of games have suffered from that sort of thing. But I think in most cases, no one really sets out to make a crappy game on purpose. And so while the games I'm going to go through here have a reputation for being bad, we need to remember they probably did not start off that way. Most of them, anyway. There might be a few cynical cash grabs in here that do not qualify for such consideration. But to you game developers out there who are trying to deliver upon crazy expectations, both from within a company and from the gaming community at large, my hat is off to you. You do incredible work. Now, for this episode, I consulted Metacritic to look at the games that scored the lowest in aggregated reviews since the original episode came out in late 2011. From the Metacritic website, here is how they described their methodology. Quote, creating our proprietary metascores is a complicated process. We carefully curate a large group of the world's most respected critics, assign scores to their reviews, and apply a weighted average to summarize the range of their opinions. The result is a single number that captures the essence of critical opinion in one metascore. Each movie, game, television show, and album featured on Metacritic gets a Metascore when we've collected at least four critics' reviews, end quote. So in other words, they're aggregating all these different reviews and then kind of determining where on a score between 0 and 100 that review uh, rates the product. So a 0 would be the absolute worst. 100 would be the absolute best. For games, anything beneath the score of 50 is considered generally unfavorable. If it's less than 20, it is overwhelming dislike is, is the, the, na- the nature of those reviews. And spoiler alert, we have some on this list that drop down below 20. But the first one we're going to talk about, number 10, out of the 10 worst video games since mm, the fall of 2011, would be Flat Out 3, Chaos and Destruction. That came out December 13th, 2011, so just a few months after we had done our episode. And it came out for the PC. The Metacritic score was 23. Yikes. And this was a car racing game. And as the name indicates, it was the third such in a series of games. The original game developer for the series was a company called Bugbear. But Bugbear developers were actually busy working on a totally different title, that of Ridge Racer Unbounded. The job of developing the next entry in the Flat Out series then fell to a Dutch video game development studio called Team 6. As a review on IGN pointed out, This was actually an early sign of concern, because the games that had come out of Team 6 lacked 
something. They had great titles. I'm, I'm definitely intrigued by a game that's titled Calvin Tucker's Redneck Farm Animals Racing Tournament. What? But the studio developed a different physics engine for this rather than the, the previous one that was used for Flat Out uh, 2. And this one, reviewers said, was sloppy. It was in direct contradiction with earlier games in the series. So in the past, you could drive really aggressively. You could you could kind of smash your way through opponents. You could nudge them and knock them off course and, and continue on your way. But in Flat Out 3, it seemed like the slightest contact with anything would result in your car flipping all over the place. It suddenly looked like you could not behave in this way. And it wasn't consistent. You would you would have what would appear to be a colossal, disastrous crash on screen and your car would only suffer a little bit of damage. Or you might just gently grace up against another car, and then suddenly your engine is smoking. The AI was substandard as well, with computer-controlled racers spending more time crashing into each other than trying to race the course. So it sounds pretty much like all the design decisions going into Flat Out 3 created a game that was not fun to play. It didn't make sense, and was a total departure from earlier Flat Out games. The lack of consistency or logic really hurt the game's reception. Uh, Team 6 is still around, and the company primarily focuses on developing racing games to this day. I'm not terribly familiar with their work. I don't think I've played any of their racing games. But as I understand it, many of those games have received a poor critical reception. Not as bad as Flat Out 3, but not great either. We're talking like Metacritic scores in the 30s. So... I'm not much of a racing game player. I cannot speak to it personally, but it doesn't sound great. Number nine is Rambo, the video game, which came out February 21st, 2014, and it came out for the PlayStation 3, the Xbox 360, PC, and Metacritic gave it a score also of 23. Now, in general, video game adaptations of licensed characters frequently show up on lists about bad games. Now, I talked about E.T., the extraterrestrial, that is frequently listed as the worst game of all time, although it really isn't. But uh, it, it is frequently the truth that a game of a licensed character doesn't turn out well. Now, that's not universally true. The recent PS4 game of Spider-Man is pretty darn fun to play in my opinion, I think it's a great game, or at least I've really been enjoying it. But one cannot say the same for Rambo, the video game. Now, Rambo refers to John Rambo, uh, who's in several movies, the first being First Blood. He's a Vietnam War veteran. In First Blood, he returns to America and causes quite the ruckus going on essentially what amounts to being a rampage at one point. And in subsequent films in the series, Rambo would become the archetypical action hero. He would carry enormous guns and just mow down antagonists left and right. That was always like the the one-man army kind of trope. And he became the model for all sorts of violent excess in the, uh, in the 80s and 90s. So what better character would you use to adapt to a video game? I mean, he's certainly inspired lots of different video game characters. So a developer named Taeon and a publisher called Reef Entertainment were responsible for adapting the material from the first three Rambo films and publishing them in video game form. Now, the actual game style took the form of a rail shooter. This is a type of game that you might see in arcades with light guns, things like Time Crisis. And the path you take through a level is set. 
And often, even the speed at which you move through the level is set. And the way that villains or bad guys, antagonists, jump out at you, that is set. Everything is kind of on a script, and it's your job to just try and do the best you can and shoot your enemies. Uh, This, however, didn't play on a system with a light gun. Uh, You would either use a controller or you would use a mouse and keyboard. And with the mouse in particular, it was reportedly incredibly easy to make every shot. So there was no challenge. There was no variety. The gameplay was outdated. Uh, the, the The whole process appeared to be pretty substandard. The one good thing I saw in the critical reviews was that they did a pretty good job at replicating the environments that you would see in the actual Rambo movies so that the video game versions of these seem to be fairly accurate to those. But apart from that, the actual game was substandard. Well, we've got more bad games to talk about, but first let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. We're up to number eight, and number eight would be Fast and Furious Showdown, another licensed property. This one came out in May 2013, It came out for the Xbox 360, the PC, the PlayStation 3, uh, apparently the Nintendo 3DS and the Wii U as well. And it scored on Metacritic a 22. So he's taken a step down now. This was published by Activision. And it was another kind of combination racing game and shooting game and also a licensed game. So it had a lot going against it. The Fast and Furious film series is known for crazy automobile action. Characters frequently pull off car stunts in those films that would be impossible in the real world. And everybody in those movies, are they're all incredibly skilled race car driving superheroes, essentially. So you'd think a video game based off the series would allow the player to take control of a car and likewise do impossible feats in a series of breathtaking missions. But unfortunately, the game's engine wasn't up to that challenge. The collision detection in the game was pretty bad. Uh, virtual objects in the game had little mass. You would have you know, like enormous obstacles crash down in front of you and your car would just kind of gently push them out of the way. Nothing seemed to have any weight to it. Uh, The level design was uninspired. The art style was not terribly pleasing from an aesthetic point of view. The cinematic cutscenes weren't much better. They, they They appeared to be of a lower quality than other current generation uh, or or that current generation cutscenes. People often said, this looks like it belongs on the previous generation hardware. Instead of a PS3, it looks like it would have been at home on a PS2. The loading time between missions was incredibly long. And if you wanted to upgrade your car, you you could earn experience in the game and use that experience to create upgrades for your vehicles or other uh, features. So let's say you want to boost your, your vehicle's performance so that you can tackle the next level better. You would have to actually back out of the game entirely to the main menu, go into a different option, then make the changes, then back all the way back out again, and then go back in and restart up to where you were in the game, in the within the storyline. Uh, and keep in mind, those loading screens were really long, and the menus also had spelling or grammatical errors in them, which made it look a little amateurish. In most missions, you could control the driver of a vehicle and a passenger in the vehicle who was hanging outside of the window acting as a a shooter. They have a gun so you can fight off your opponents that are trying to run you off the road. The AI made very little sense. The cars did not move like real cars. 
The missions were mostly all variations on a common theme of run and gun. And so the lack of variability, the bad physics, the graphics, all of this contributed to the low scores and put it on our list of worst video games since 2011. Number seven is Afro Samurai 2 Revenge of Kuma, which came out in September 2015. It came out for the PlayStation 4 and the PC. It was supposed to come out for the Xbox One, but hang on here. Metacritic gave it a score of 21. This is another licensed property. Afro Samurai is a manga series in Japan, and the series follows a character named Afro Samurai, and he's out for revenge. Uh, His father was killed in the series, so he's out to uh, revenge his, his father's death, to avenge his father's death, I guess I should say. And an earlier video game adaptation of this story in 2009 had received average to decent reviews. It wasn't considered a, a blockbuster, but it was, people said, no, it's okay. You know, it's not, not a terrible game. It featured cel-shaded animation as a, kind of a beat-em-up in a way. And the player controlled the titular character in his quest for revenge. So this this is the sequel to that game. And the sequel was supposed to be the first episode in a series. So the idea was to release the sequel in episodic format. And it put the player in control of a different character named Kuma. And Kuma wears a big mascot-style bear head. The word Kuma is Japanese for bear. And Kuma is seeking out Afro Samurai to seek revenge for... Uh, Kuma's sister's death. And like some Facebook relationship statuses, it's complicated. So this game did come out for the PC and for the PS4. It was going to come out later for the Xbox One. But the PC and PS4 versions got such bad reviews that not only was the Xbox One version canceled, ultimately the publisher actually withdrew Afro Samurai 2 from the Steam store and from the PS store. So After getting really raked over the coals by critics, the developer said, you know what, we're going to just, we're going to take this down. So now no more copies are ever going to be sold. Uh, It was pretty negative reaction to warrant that kind of a response. Also, I think it makes the fact that the developer's name was Redacted Studios somewhat tragically comedic. The planned episodic sequels also got scrapped, So what made this such a bad game? Well, the answer to that question is kind of everything. So critics were saying the voice acting for the game was over the top and cringeworthy, as the kids used to say. And at times, the sound levels in the game made it really difficult to hear what was being said because sound effects or music was drowning out everything else. And so you're missing out on... Uh, valuable information, although apparently it was valuable information that was delivered in this over-the-top kind of way, so maybe you were better off in the long run. The game style was that of a classic beat-em-up, kind of like the old side-scrolling games of the early 90s, but this one was with uh, sort of three-dimensional levels, and it also had that cel-shaded art style of its predecessor. The game had frame rate problems in which frames would drop, and that would result in a type of skipping effect that made playing the game really hard and not much fun at all. It's difficult to time a counterattack if the action is skipping forward in spurts. You can't really time when you need to hit a button in order to avoid an oncoming attack and counter it. So according to reviews, the animations of the character didn't always reflect the commands that they were sending through the controls. And then there was the camera. This would be the point of view for the player. 
and the camera would shift around and the player could not control it. So you would be stuck with whatever the camera angle happened to be. And that would sometimes cause the perspective to put the player at a disadvantage. So for example, you might be moving through a level, but the camera angle makes it impossible for you to see what is directly ahead of you as a character. So as you're continuing through the level, you suddenly encounter a pit and fall right into it because you couldn't see it as a player. But if you were actually the character, if you were Kuma, you would have seen that pit coming from a mile away. So you think about that, an objective observer would just see someone running toward a pit for a really long time and then fall in the pit. And they would think that person couldn't see or they wanted to go in the pit. I can't imagine any other outcome. But in fact, the problem was that as a player, you couldn't see the pit at all just because the perspective. So there were a lot of problems in this game that ultimately convinced the publisher to bring it back, to, to, to cancel it. Uh, number six was Infestation Survivor Stories, which released in October 2012 for the PC. Metacritic gave it a score of 20, so now we're hitting that threshold of overwhelming dislike. Uh, the studio that developed it was Hammerpoint Interactive. The man most frequently associated with this game is a guy named Sergei Titov, who was one of the, de the developers behind this game. And uh, it was actually released under a different title originally, which was The War Z. And if you think that sounds like a zombie game, you win a prize. The War Z was following on the success of a mod called Day Z. And this mod was for a tactical shooter called Arma 2. And both Day Z and The War Z had very similar features. Uh, they would put players in a world dealing with a zombie outbreak. And in both games, players would be in multiplayer maps, meaning you could encounter other humans as you played. And in both games, you would scavenge for items and weapons and see how long you could survive. Steam removed the game from the store not too long after it was released. And Valve said that adding the game to the store was, quote, a mistake, end quote. Some gamers probably agreed. Valve released a statement that said it was working with Titov to get the build of the game right so that it would meet expectations. So the War Z was a collaborative multiplayer survival game, and the game's listing on Steam mentioned features like the ability to create a friends list, to rent a private server so that you and your friends could play without fearing the interference of griefers. Um, there was supposed to be a skill system that would allow the players to progress in their capabilities. There were supposed to be up to 100 people allowed to play on a same server at the same time, and there were supposed to be maps that were as big as 400 square kilometers. But in actuality, the game didn't support those features, and that was the, the root of some of the most harsh criticisms. They were saying, the game is promising us one thing, but delivering something else. Titov would say that players had quote-unquote misread those features, implying that there were... Uh, these were planned features. They were going to be in the game. They just weren't in the game yet. They would be released later on in the game's life. In addition, the game featured what some critics felt were predatory microtransactions that were intended to coax more money from players. So, for example, if your character died in the game, you'd get hit with a four-hour cooldown period before you could respawn, unless you bought in-game currency with real money, and then you could purchase an instant respawn. So in order to play the game, you would have to pay again. And, and keep in mind, this was already a game where you were buying it. It wasn't free to play. By April 2013, the game died an inglorious death. 
And the publisher said that the servers running the online game had been taken offline. And the reason given was that the servers had been hacked and the hackers had stolen customer information from the databases. Apparently not payment information, but other account information, including usernames and passwords and that kind of stuff. They'd also taken it into their own hands to ban certain players from the game on their own. And that was it. That was that for that game. Number five is Alone in the Dark Illumination, which came out June 2015 for the PC. The Metacritic score is 19. The Alone in the Dark series was fostered by Atari, and it falls in the category of survival horror. In fact, Alone in the Dark is often cited as the first title in modern survival horror games. Illumination was the sixth entry in that series, The developer for that particular game was Pure FPS, and unlike earlier games which were single-player experiences, this one featured online and cooperative play. Up to four people could play cooperatively at a time. And it would also become the lowest-rated game of 2015. Up to four would play, but gameplay featured no puzzles. There was no real story involved. This was mostly done as a third-person shooter survival horror game. Players could only inflict damage on enemies if those enemies were exposed to light. The light would make them vulnerable to damage. So your strategy for every level was exactly the same. You would run around the levels creating as many light sources as you could. Then you would try to lure enemies into the light. Then you would try to inflict enough damage to take those enemies down. And level layouts were different, but they all had the exact same sequence of events involved. And the enemies were apparently just kind of mindlessly throwing themselves in harm's way. They didn't try to avoid the light. They would just keep coming at you. On top of that, the game's sound was criticized as being unfinished and barely even present. There were times where sound effects and music seemed to be completely absent in the game. There were a ton of bugs that were affecting gameplay, including ones that would let enemies attack players through a solid surface like a wall. Overall, critics said the game was just unfinished and boring, and so it did not score well. We've got four more games to talk about, and before I jump into those, let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. Number four is Double Dragon 2 Wander of the Dragons, which sounds like a really weird title to me. It came out in April 2013 for the Xbox 360. This was an Xbox Live arcade game and probably the lowest rated one of all time. It got a Metacritic score of 17. The Double Dragon games in general feature two protagonists who punch and kick their way through swarms of enemies As they progress through levels, typically each level ends with some sort of boss battle, and there are numerous entries in this series. I actually remember playing the original Double Dragon in arcades, but this particular entry came from a Korean developer called Gravity Games. Critics said that the developer, which was mostly known for making MMORPG-style games, not beat-em-ups, got the fundamental elements of Double Dragon games all wrong. Uh, Moving the character was awkward, it was slow, it made it unreasonably difficult to face off against opponents who would swarm around the player. Reversing a direction was not natural. You you couldn't just quickly turn around and confront someone who was coming up behind you. You would actually scoot backwards first before turning around. So in other words, if someone was coming up behind you, you would actually move into their range before you would turn around to face them. 
The quasi-3D design made it really hard to direct attacks to specific targets, particularly if you were trying something beyond just the basic kick or punch moves. So for example, there's an attack in a lot of Double Dragon games which involves an elbow attack. And it was really important because it was an attack that you could unleash against someone who was coming up behind you. So if someone's coming up behind you really fast and you don't have time to turn around, you could use this attack to fend them off. But in this game, the elbow attack was much harder to direct. So there might be someone coming up behind you and you're fighting someone ahead of you and you try and do this elbow attack, but your elbow attack just swings wild with making, you know, no contact. The developers also added in some other new elements that gamers were not crazy about. There was a stamina bar that also served more or less as your health. So if you got attacked, your stamina would take a hit. But that would mean you would actually slow down a little bit, which meant that it was even easier for enemies to hit you again. So you were getting punished for being hit. You get hit, now it's easier for you to get hit. Also, if you got knocked down then enemies could hit you as you were standing up. And standing up was an animation. You couldn't do anything about it. You couldn't block or dodge or anything. It was a sequence that would happen automatically. So there's nothing you can do. There's no way for you to intervene. And meanwhile, an enemy just knocks you down again. So it's kind of cheesing effect. You're you're in this constant process of trying to stand up while enemies are hitting you. Uh, And then your stamina is all gone. And maybe you could argue that's realistic in a fight, but it's not much fun for a video game. They also did something that blows my mind. They built in a special super move ability as well. There were actually quite a few different super moves you could do. And the game mechanic was that you would have a meter that was filling up as you would build in combos. Let's say you have a successful combination where you you land a sequence of attacks with no gaps, no mistakes. You would start to fill up this meter. That's not that unusual. A lot of games have that. And when the meter was full, then you would be able to unleash one of these special attacks and potentially cause additional damage to your enemies. Again, totally makes sense. But the meter did not build up properly. Sometimes you would land these combos and the meter didn't seem to reflect it at all. Sometimes you'd be playing the game and the meter would just start to drain for no apparent reason. And in addition, while the game incorporated this mechanic, it would actually discourage you from using it. So... It gave you this ability. It had all these different uh, elements to it that were supposed to support this ability, although it didn't do it very well. But if you used a special move even just one time, it would mean you would get the quote-unquote bad ending of the game should you play it all the way through to the end. The only way to get the good ending would be not to use these special moves. So it's always fun when a game builds in a mechanic and then punishes you for actually using it. Yuck. Number three was Vroom in the Night Sky. (laughs) Might be my favorite title among the ones that are on this list. It came out in March 2017, so it's one of the most recent games. It came out for the Nintendo Switch and was the lowest rated game on the Nintendo Switch. Has a Metacritic score of 17. This is the only Nintendo Switch title on our list, and in the game, You controlled a protagonist, a girl, who would travel on a motorbike. She's magical, so she can make the motorbike do all sorts of stuff like fly. And she collects stardust as sort of a, a, almost like an in-game currency going through these different stages. One reviewer called it a racing game in which there are no opponents. So you're just driving around these environments collecting stardust uh, until you move through these rings that were called key stars and you would unlock a gate 
that would lead you to the next stage, and then you would rinse and repeat. There was no way to die. There was no way to fail out. You could take some damage. There was an antagonist character who would occasionally show up, and you would lose Stardust if you took damage, but otherwise you would just keep on going. You could use that Stardust to buy upgrades or new items in the game, but critics said the art style was dated. The levels, while they were huge, didn't have a whole lot to do in them, so they were big, but there wasn't much there, and that this antagonist that you would occasionally encounter would usually remain completely out of sight during a level. The levels were so big, and the antagonist wasn't necessarily moving around very much, that you might not even notice her as you're moving around. And also, you would have a a little sidekick on your motorbike who would automatically attack the bad guy if you did happen to wander too close, so the odds of you getting hit were very low anyway. Uh, The English version of the game also had a script that suffered from poor translation. There's a group called Legends of Localization that created a video that detailed some of the more egregious examples with screenshots. The very first one reads, Night Sky of the Lovely. It is a wonderful night sky where the moon is beautiful, suitable for you for the first time to fly the sky. A patch would try to address this issue with a new translation, but really added just different bad translation to the game, including spelling errors. Number two is a game called Ride to Hell Retribution. came out in June 2013 for the Xbox 360, the PlayStation 3, and the PC. Metacritic gave it a 16. As Destructoid reported in their review, the first warning that the game wasn't very good was when the publisher refused to send out review copies to game critics. You see this in movies, too, where film studios will choose not to have a critic screening. And more frequently than not, this is typically a sign that the studio behind a property doesn't have a whole lot of faith that it's going to do well in critics' eyes. And they'd rather skip that step to try and sell as many units or as many tickets as possible before bad reviews start to cannibalize those sales. So that was the bad first sign. Now, in the game, you play as a biker who's out for revenge, common theme in video games. A bike gang had killed his brother, and now he's out to get them. And the review that I read from Destructoid stated that the game opened in a very confusing way. You immediately start off, and you are uh, behind a turret. You're you're controlling a, a, a gun turret. And he says that he failed almost instantly upon spawning in in the game and had no idea what was going on. Then... On his second attempt, he died almost instantly. Then on his third attempt, he survived, but he had no idea what he had done differently that led to this new outcome. So he didn't learn anything. He didn't get better at the game. It just was different. What's more, then he got transported into a desert environment and got into a quick time event that was uh, in the form of a brawl. So quick time, of course, you're responding to button uh, prompts like hit X now or hit A now or move thumbstick left. But there was no context as to what was going on. There was no explanation why this was happening. And then after that, the game officially started. Now, apparently, the physics in the game are just plain broken. Sometimes you'll phase through a surface, like you're riding your bike and you'll just phase through the ground. Uh, textures pop in and out in graphics. So you might look at a featureless uh, surface, and then suddenly the images pop in and you can see what the design is supposed to be on there, and then they pop out again. 
there were major problems with the visuals in general, and the action sequences were repetitive and uninspired. The game's camera made moving around environments really frustrating. You could easily get caught on something and not be able to see what it was that you were caught on, so you couldn't fix it. And the control scheme and execution artificially made the game more difficult, so that it was hard to progress. And it was hard to progress not because the game was challenging, but because the mechanics of the game were broken. The story also didn't win any points, and several reviewers I saw pointed out that there were some really misogynistic elements in this game, where women exist for no reason other than to be exploited by the main character, who is not a nice guy. So, didn't seem to have any real redeeming qualities. Number one, according to Metacritic's scores, is Family Party 30 Great Games. Obstacle Arcade, which came out on November 30th, 2012 for the Wii U. Out of the possible 100 points, it got an 11. And this is it, the worst reviewed game according to Metacritic. It was meant to be a game you would play with up to three other people on a single console in the same space. So these sort of games for the Wii and the Wii U were meant to bring people together in the same physical location, kind of like a board game. You'd have a game night, but instead of pulling out a copy of Monopoly, you put one of these inside the Wii or the Wii U, and you have yourself a grand old time playing the series of mini games. And there are tons of different examples in this genre, um, and a lot of them belong to Nintendo's game library. The mini games had no real cohesive theme to them. Some of them were really uninspired games. According to Nintendo Life, one of the games would show a selection of balloons with numbers on it. And then you'd be told to pick the balloon that has a specific number, like the number two, which doesn't sound like much of a game to me. Maybe it's kind of like musical chairs, I guess, but it's kind of weird, right? There doesn't seem like there's much satisfaction in that game style. The game would force players to use the Wii U's motion controls. So even though the Wii U controller has a D-pad on it, you couldn't use the D-pad in most of the mini-games. Instead, you were supposed to jab the controller in whatever direction to get the result you were supposed to get. So for example, there might be a level where you're supposed to uh, guide a character across a series of platforms through jumping. But the way you would control jumping is by jabbing the controller in whatever direction the platform's in, forward, left, or right. And the game mechanics weren't done very well. So you could be waving the controller like a crazy person and nothing's happening. Your character's not going anywhere. Or you might jab it to the left, but your character jumps to the right. Uh, it just didn't seem to have any connection with what you did and what the character was doing. So that was very frustrating. Uh, they also, critics also said that the sound design was terrible, that the character design was not great. The host of the games was a teddy bear that from what the description I read sounded like it would fit better in Five Nights at Freddy's. It sounded like a true monstrosity. And the lackluster games were really what doomed this one to last place. The game was poorly designed, but worse than that, reviewers essentially were saying, even if the game were well-designed, even if these controls worked great, the actual mini-games are so boring that the game would still be terrible. So, that's not a great review. If you're saying, this game is broken, but even if it weren't broken, it would still be terrible, that's a bad review. 
And that's it. Those are the worst video games according to Metacritic. And again, that's just one source. If you were to ask anybody who covered video games, they might say, hey, you didn't talk about that alien game that literally did not work until someone went through the source code, saw that one of the settings was wrong, fixed the setting, and now the game works years after it came out. That's true. I didn't talk about that one. There are a lot of different examples since 2011 that would probably fall on a worst video games list. This was just through the Metacritic approach. I am curious what you guys think. And I will do another worst video games episode that's crowdsourced if you guys like. So if there are specific games, whether it's for a console, a computer system, or a handheld system, or even a mobile game, if there's a game you think warrants being put on a worst video game list, write to me. Give me the subject worst video game and send that email to techstuff at howstuffworks.com. I will gather those together and we'll do a follow-up episode where, once again, as chosen by the listeners of Tech Stuff, we will talk about some of the worst video games of all time. If you want to also include why you think it's one of the worst games you've ever played or has ever been made, that would be great too. Um, now, in general, just as a, a quick rule of thumb, I'm going to mostly stick uh, stay away from any games that are uh, like... Uh, sexual in nature, any of those, because I think a lot of those are just hastily put together to uh, to appeal to the more base instincts of certain players. And I, we could go through on for hours about the countless games in those genres that are just terrible. They're either carbon copies of existing games, but with nudity, or they're just playing terrible excuses for games. So we know those are terrible. Let's just all agree to that, and let's look beyond those for the other terrible games. Also, if you have any suggestions for other types of topics that have nothing to do with video games at all, feel free to send me a message. Let me know what you would like me to cover. Uh, you can make that subject whatever you like. And again, the address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com, or you can drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle for both of those is techstuffhsw. Don't forget, you can head on over to tpublic.com slash techstuff. Pick yourself up some techstuff merchandise. Be a super cool person like I am. Or more cool, because you probably already are. I mean, let's be honest. And I accept that. That's okay. I appreciate that you, a cool person, are listening to me. Thank you. And don't forget, follow us over on Instagram, and I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 